Okay, we're going to start here on the two dots in the top of Lamed Gimel and Aleph. The Gemara is to continue to discuss the end of the Mishnah, which was, Even if he's got a snake wrapped around his legs, he doesn't stop for Shmona Esri. It's only true by snakes, which are friendly. But if you're talking about a scorpion, then you got to stop because there's much more danger involved. Now, obviously, Tosafot points out, If he's hissing and coming towards you, then a Nachash will have the same status as in a Krav. Over here, we're talking about simply a nice snake that just wraps itself around you, where you won't feel in danger. Whereas by a Nachrav, or something that stings, or is going to cause you some danger, of course, there's no question that one has to save their life. He falls into a pit of lions, you cannot assume that he's dead. Falls into a pit full of snakes and scorpions. Then you can testify that he's dead. You can assume he's dead. So the question of the Gemara is not from the lion, which is there the Gemara speaks about the fact that lions aren't always hungry. If a lion's not hungry and you fall into the lion pit, doesn't mean he'll get eaten. They have to be hungry in order to get eaten. When Daniel gets thrown into the Govai Rayot, what do all the ministers of the king say? So, maybe the lions aren't so hungry. So the king says, okay, we'll find out. And they toss them in, and the lions obviously eat them up, so that they knew that it really was a miracle that Daniel was saved. But by the snakes and the scorpions, that's the question here, which is that he threw him into a pit, and as Rashi says, it means, either a snake pit or a scorpion pit, you throw him in there, we assume he's dead. So why is it there that we assume the Nachash is dangerous? And over here, when he's standing down in Shimon Esri, we assume the Nachash wraps itself around, and no problem. Where it says, shiny autumn, the gav Because of the pressure he puts on them, and he's falling on the snakes when he goes into the pit, he's going to anger them. He's going to instigate them, and therefore they're going to sting him. They are going to be mazikim, to hurt him in that case. Whereas, when he's simply standing in the field and it wraps itself around him, he looks like a tree. They're not necessarily going to hurt him in that case. I'm Rabbi Yitzchak. Rosh Varim, he sees a stampede of oxen coming, posek, he stopped right away. You make sure that you're at least 50 amot between you and a short time. And Meshur Muad, if you could see it, then it's no good. Again, anytime you're in danger, we don't have a question that you're allowed to interrupt your Shmaneser and stop. So, Tani Mishmei, the Rabbi Meir, Reish Torah B'Dikula, Salik the Egra, Veshadi Darga Mitutech. says that if the Torah, that's oxen, B'Dikula, and if he's in the palm tree, meaning that he's got his head in a basket of food and he's not paying attention to you, still you should go upstairs to the upper floor, to the ceiling, and pull the ladder up behind you. And that the shore is dangerous and they'll follow you and they'll chase you down. And that if you want to be safe, put yourself in a position where they can't find you anymore, where they can't get to you anymore. That's true with a shore that is black. And in the springtime, that's a time when they're excitable, when they have this energy in them, and therefore that's a time you don't want to be anywhere near the Shvarim. Obviously they had daily experience with them, they lived with Shvarim amongst them, and so that's why it's playing such a major role here in their day-to-day lives and what the Gemara is explaining here. So turn up and on. It's a very, very famous story. There are a lot of stories in Tanit, Mesecha Tanit, that we'll get to with Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa. It's another one of these stories by Rabbi Hanina Dosa. It's a wonderful, beautiful story. There was this Arod. Now, Arod, it's unclear what the Arod is. Over here, Rashi brings the interpretation that you find in Chulin and other places, which is that it's a crossbreed between a Nachash and a Tzav. Because we were doing a snake and a turtle. That's what they called an arod. Earlier in the Masechta, Rashi brought that arod was a wild donkey. So one of the others here, it's clearly something scorpion-like. That's what I would translate it as, something like a scorpion in that sense. It's a dangerous arod, and it was causing damage amongst the people that walked there. They told Rabbi Hanin and Dosa, what do you, when you have a problem, and there's this dangerous animal out there, of course, you go to the... The Rav, to find out what to do. So they go to Rabbi Mendoza. Show me where he hangs out. Show me his hole. They showed him his hole. He stuck his heel on top of the hole. Sure enough, the road comes out and bites him. It stings him. And that road died. Picks up the road onto his shoulder. 
He brings it into the Beit Midrash. Take a look. The road is not what kills. It's the sin that causes one to die. And now, one of the greatest lines. What was the person who bumps into an road? And what was the road that Rebuchanin Mendoza bumps into? The idea being that Rebuchanin Mendoza is pointing out that the road is only a shliach Hashem. And in being a shliach Hashem, he affects or stings those that are exposed or deserved of that. Obviously, they shouldn't put themselves into areas of danger, expose themselves to these things. But the fact is that everything is in the hands of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, and therefore the chait has impact on the individual. All right, now the next Mishnah is the Mishnah we quoted earlier in the Gemara, which is, Maskirim Gvrut Kishamim Tchiyatam We mention, Mashiva Ruach Umarid Goshim inside of the Bracha of Tchiyatam Meitim. It's not a Lashon Bakasha, but a Lashon Haskara, to mention, not to ask for. Vishe'ila, that's a Lashon Bakasha, is Bibirkata Shanim, and Tain Ta'al Umotali Bracha is found inside of Barei Chaleinu. Havdalah B'chonen Adat, Havdalah, you say in the first Bracha, in the Bakashot, which is Konen Adat, or Kiv Omer, Omra Bracha Revit Bifnatzmai. It has its own Bracha. You make a fourth Bracha, that its own Bracha. Beleza Omer Bahoda. That you add it in, in Hoda. Maskirin Gvurach Kashamim. We mention Gvurach Kashim, my timer. What's the reason for placing Mashiva Ruach Omer Goshim inside of Tchiata Meitim? So here the Gemara says, Amar Yosef Mitok Shishkulak Tchiata Meitim. Because it's equal to, on par with, Therefore, they placed it in Tchiyat HaMetim. The Gemara Tanit is much more explicit about the connection between rain and Tchiyat HaMetim. Over there, the Gemara discusses that there are three keys that a Kodesh Baruch holds that he doesn't give over to anybody else. One of them is rain, Tchiyat HaMetim, Leida. So there is this idea or connection between and rain, as well as the fact that rain brings life and is the source of life, bringing back to life, all these parallels that the Gemara Tani draws with regards to rain and it's an interesting question why the Gemara even asks this. They say, I don't know why the Gemara doesn't seem as pshita that it fits there. Topically, that's where it belongs. Where else would you have placed it? At least with my Shiva Rochman Goshim, you have a valid question. What's it doing in Tchiatamitim topically? But with Tain Talamatali Bracha, topically, where else would you put it besides Barei Chaleinu? I don't know. I thought the alternative would have been Shomeat Filat. I think that's the only other place you would have placed it. But still, topically, it seems to belong there. I'm just pointing it out that it's interesting that the Gemara asks the question. Birgad Hashanim, my time. What's the reason it's a Birgad Hashanim? So I'm a Rav Yosef Mitokshi Parnasa. Because it's talking about sustenance, the fika chavua b'perkat parnasa. They put it into the bracha that deals with sustenance. With havdala b'chonen adat, my taima. Why do we put havdala into chonen adat? I'm reviosim mitoch shi chokma chavua b'perkat chokma. Since havdala requires a certain amount of wisdom, to differentiate requires chokma, and therefore you put it into the bracha of chonen adat, which is the bracha that deals with dat or understanding. Banan amrei mitoch shi chol fika chavua b'perkat chol because. The whole idea of bracha of Havdalah is differentiated between Kodesh and Chol. What is the first bracha of Chol that you have in Shemona Esrei? That is, Atachonein. So therefore you place it inside the first bracha, which is the first indication that you're in a time of Chol. So, Amar of Ami Gdola, Dei'ah, How great is Dei'ah? Because it's placed in the first bracha of Chol. I mean, that's the first thing that we address in Shemona Esrei. The first bakasha that we deal with is dealing with this bracha of Dei'ah. From Amigdola Deash Ben That Deah is so great that it's given between two letters. Now, it's interesting here that the Gemara uses two Otiot. What it really means is two Shemot Hashem. So I don't know why the Gemara doesn't use it. Use even other, other places in Shas. That's what it says when talking about Shemot Hashem. Here it means two names of Hashem. Shemar, Kikel, Deot Hashem. You have Kel and Hashem on either side of Deah. Chom Hashembo Deah, Asur the Anybody who doesn't have Deah, the person cannot have mercy on them. Shemar, Kilo Ambinotu. So that's Hashem says straight up because they're a nation without bina doesn't have any understanding. Therefore, I will not have rachamim on them. I will not have mercy on them. So we we expect a certain amount of discernment by people. The ability now this is not talking about how smart the individual is, but we're just talking about basic discernment. The ability to discern between bad and good, dark and light, kodesh and chol. These types of very basic discernments 
that we expect of a person. A person can make that judgment. And they don't exercise that judgment. They are morally corrupt, bankrupt. Then you can't be merachem on them because they lack the capacity to make those judgments and therefore there's no reason to have rachamim on them. How great is the Mikdash? It's also given between two Shemot Hashem, Shemar, Palta Hashem, Mikdash Hashem. So there again, the Hashem's name on both sides of Mikdash. From Balazar called Adam Sheishbul De'ah, Kilun Ibne Beit Mikdash Biyamav. So obviously the connection being that they both are found between the Shemot Hashem. So a person who has De'ah, it's as if the Mikdash is built in his time. De'ah Nidna Ben Shteotiot, Mikdash Natan Ben Shteotiot. And then the two statements put them together. Then you get this conclusion. Based on your principle here, then Nikama should also be something special because it's found between the Shem Hashem, Shem Kel Nikamot Hashem. We have there Kel Nikamot and then Hashem. in b'milta miagdolahi. You're right. When it's used properly and it's proper time, Nikama is also a big deal. Why do we have these two Nikamot? So it seems to me that he's referencing the pasuk that we just quoted, which is Kel Nekamot Hashem, Kel Nekamot Hofiah. So there it said twice Nekama. So Chad Tova Vachad Ra'ah. One's good, one's bad. Litova Zichtiv. One that is good is because it's written Hofiah Mehar Paran, which is written in Zot Abracha. Over there, the midrash says Hofiah Mehar Paran is referring to a Kodesh Baruch Hu appearing to Bnei Yisrael by Har Sinai, and that he goes through the other nations before he reaches Bnei Yisrael. I'll explain it one second. The ra'ah, and for the negative, diktiv, kel nukamot Hashem, kel nukot kofiyah. On the negative side, then there is nikama, which is kel nukot Hashem, kel nukot kofiyah. The quote of the pasuk here is very difficult because it seems like the question was, why does it say kel nukot Hashem, kel nukot kofiyah? And then he uses that pasuk for the ra'ah side. So it seems difficult over here. And the other thing is, what's the Gemara doing with hofiyah mihar paran? So those two things are very difficult. Rashi explains that Ophiyami Arparan is that Gilav Yifkir, Kishloki blew at the Torah. That Akash Baruch was Mafkir in the Chasim of the other Umot when they did not accept the Torah to Bnei Yisrael. So that is the Nikama, that is Tova. Because over there Bnei Yisrael benefited from the Nikama of Hashem. Whereas the other Nikama, which is the Ra'ah, which is when Hashem takes revenge and then it's negative. They are going to be punished by Hashem. Alright, Rabbi Giva, Omer, Omra, Bracha, Revit. You say it as a fourth bracha by itself. Amalev, Shem, Vavad, Rabbi Yochanan, Michte. Anche, Knesset, Gadola, Tiknodem, Lisa, Brachot, Bitfilot, Kudushot, Vavdalot. The Anche, Knesset, Gadola put together Shmonasre. We know that. We read that before with Rabbi Gamliel, Nyavna. They established 18 Brachot. The Nusacha Bracha was also established. Nechse, Echatikun. Why is there even a question in the Mishnah as to where we place Abdullah? Why don't we just find out? If the Anshay Knesset had put it together, they actually put it somewhere. So why are we arguing about where they put it? In the beginning, they put it in Tefillah. They became wealthier. They decided that they would make Abdullah. They became poor again. So they brought it back into Tefillah. So when they brought it back into Tefillah, that's where the confusion arose. The original time they had it in Tefillah, that was from Anshay Knesset Agdola. It was clear where it was placed because Anshay Knesset Agdola established it. Once they left that practice and they started making Abdullah, instead of in Shmonesri, they made Abdullah ala Kos, they lost the location of Abdullah. So when they wanted to return it to Shmonesri, that's where the argument arose as to where it was originally in Shmonesri. And that's what they're trying to figure out here. Vehem Amru. And they also said, Amabdil B'Tefillah, Tzirich Shabdil ala Kos. Now this last statement is a little bit difficult because the progression of the Brayta was you first had it in Tefillah, then they had it Alakos, and then back to Tefillah. Why did they go back to Tefillah? It's because Heanu, that they became poor. So if they became poor, why would you have a statement that if someone makes Abdullah in Tefillah, then you have to make Alakos, you haven't helped them being poor. Right. Right, it seems that it's counterintuitive if you're making it in Tefillah to save them the money, but saying to them if they have to do it in Tefillah, they have to do Alakos. So where the, this statement seems to be either out of place. So two possibilities. One is that they became rich again. And when they became rich again, this time instead of taking it out of tefillah, they left it in tefillah plus they said to do it alakos. Or this could be modifying the case when they added in alakos, that they amabdu b'tefillah tzirich shiabdil alakos. That it wasn't instead of, but rather in addition to, they made amabdil alakos. 
If that's true, then it makes it more difficult again, because then how do you explain forgetting of where it was located? Because it means that they continued to say it in tefillah all the way along. All right, so this piece just seems like it's stuck out where it doesn't fit exactly. Alright, so I know it's controversial. We did see in the Gemara before, when it came to Daniel, it says that, did Daniel only daven in the Gola? And it says, no, because Pastor says, Mikadam da. That this is the same way I daven like I daven before, so that he daven prior to that time. Interesting, you know, archaeologically, in Israel, when they dig up the idea of a shul existing, does the shul exist prior to the time of the Churbana Bayit? It's essentially a concept of Beit Knesset for that time. And so when they... Right, so there are some that are very borderline. That seem to be right at the time period when they were still towards the tail end of the Mikdash, that they have Batei Knesset. Although, again, you could argue that the term Batei Knesset, and that's what they argue about that, it was not a shul, but Knisa, where they got together. It was the meeting place. A meeting place doesn't mean we today think of that as being a place where they davened, but that doesn't necessarily mean so, that they actually davened. Okay, actually, it was the equivalent of the town meeting. So it's not clear about in terms of Beit Knesset and in terms of Inyan. What it seems from here is that the Anshay Knesset Gdola and the Tikkun of the Anshay Knesset Gdola, when it's Rabbi Gamliel, it's in Yavne. Yavne is already, right, either towards the tail end or the post-Mikdash, which is when they established Tefillah. And then you have Tefillah Keneged Korbanot, Tiknum. On the other hand, you have the Gemara saying before by Ishayahu, Parischem, Kapechem, that there it said, oh, even after Korbanot, Hashem still had to reject the Tefillah. Which means that they saw them coincident, that they were both there, both Korbanot and Tefillah. So you have mixed messages, and the Rishonim argue about this fact. How did Tefillah work? Was there Tefillah at the time of Korbanot? We know we had the Mamadot. So what the Babamadot there, the Gemara describes as being Kriyata Torah, that they read in the Torah, and they were osik in certain things. It's not clear that they david necessarily. There were tefilot, or small tefilot, about Kabbalat Karbanot, or the Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippurim, those we do have during the time of the Mikdash. Also, the Mishnayot in Kodoshim described the daily activities of the Kohanim, which included saying, Kriyat Shema, the Birkot, Kriyat Shema, the Brachot, although it doesn't address directly the issues of Shemun Esrei. Whether there was formal tefilah, it's, it's not clear that Rambam, who has the whole history of tefillah, says that the formalization of tefillah only took place much later on, when they went into the Gola, and people were, language was changing, and it became difficult for people to articulate, formulate their tefillah. That's when it became a standardized tefillah. Until that time, it was kolish, ayyashar be'enav yaseh. You had your own tefillah, it was a heartfelt tefillah, you said whatever it was that came to mind. But that means that the nature of tefillah might have changed. There might have been tefillah which was not codified and formulated exactly the way we have it today beforehand. And as the Dharma describes it, that only happened at a later date when it became difficult for people to express themselves, especially in Hebrew, and therefore they went to a standard formula. Not to mean that there wasn't tefillah before then, but the tefillah before then was more free-form and individual. If you make Avdallah and tefillah, you still have to make Avdallah alakos. Amar Ravo, and some say Amar Rabo, Modvinan Ashmaitin. And we have a question on this memra. Tav lo yiskir gruot kushamim betchiyat ha-metim. You make a mistake and forget Mashiv Ruch Moira Goshim. V'sheilai b'bekadashnim, tain talamatu devrach and brach alayinu. Magzir noto, you force him back. Because the, either the Shmonesri would be incomplete without it, or even if the Shmonesri is complete, you still didn't deal with Meinam Meorah. But Avdallah b'chonein adat, and you add in Avdallah in the chonein adat, Ain Magzir Noto. If you forget, he doesn't go back. Because he could say it alakos. Well, the statement here, could, means that it's optional. It's not saying that he will say it alakos. What it should have said, if you have to say it alakos after tefillah, would mean, for, okay, if you're missing a you're going to say it alakos. Here it says that, yachol, that he might be able to. So, so leave out the word Yacho. I mean that's period. He will say it alakos, therefore he doesn't have to go back. So this question was posed to Rabbi Yochanan. Person who says Abdullah and Tfila, does he make it alakos or not? 
And he gave him a straight answer. I was there, I heard him say it. And if you da- say it Abdullah and Tfilah, you still have to say it Alakos. What about the opposite way around? If you make Abdullah Alakos, you still have to say it in Tfilah. It's a Kavachomer. Why? The main Abdullah was placed into Tfilah. And there they say, even when you do it in Tfilah, you still have to do it in Tfilah. Which is only a secondary Takana, you have to say the Ikar Abdullah and Tfilah. Meaning that where we have the Ikar Takana being accomplished, where you say it in Tfilah, we still say you have to add on and say Alakos, even though that's tertiary, secondary to the Tfilah. Over here, where you do the secondary tertiary Abdullah, then certainly you have to do the Ikar Abdullah, which is in the Tfilah. So everybody agrees that in tefillah you should definitely say it, no matter whether you've said it a la coast or not beforehand. The only question is, if you said it in tefillah, do you have to say it a la coast? And the answer that we've gotten until now is yes. All the memorot that we saw were yes. Tani Rabacha Arika Kamei de Rabchinina. So Rabacha, whether the long one, the tall one, before Rabchinina, Mavdio B'Tfilah, Mishubach Yoter Mimisha Abdil Akos. One who does Abdil and Tfilah is better than one who makes a la coast. Makes on both of them. So that's the expression today that's used by all the poskim. Right, so if you do this, then even better. That's the best. Because so, it's not necessary. As soon as you say the Shem Hashem in the bracha of Chonei Nadat, you cannot go back anymore. But that Tosafot dealt with at the end of the last previous parak. He discussed there when you have something that you like, for instance, Yalav Yavo on the night of Rosh Chodesh, where you don't have to go back for it. He also says the same thing there. As soon as you say the Shem Hashem, you can't go back. Even though we know in other places that if you finish the bracha, you're still allowed to, you're still within the bracha. I mentioned that before. Even though you finish up Michaya Meitim, you're allowed to then say Mashiva Ruach Marigash and be saved right away. As long as you don't start the next bracha and you didn't wait too long, you can say Mashiva Ruach and you're covered. But nevertheless, in a case where you don't have to go back, as soon as you say the Shem Hashem, you're over. You're done. You finish that bracha and you don't go back. It's a bracha Shem Tzricha. So since it's not Ma'akev, the tefillah, we're not going to force you to go back. So, Gufakasha, he says, it's an internal steer. Saying it in tefillah is better. Sounds like it's enough to do it in Dominic, because that's better. You're giving a hierarchy between tefillah and kos. It says do tefillah. So it sounds like there you have to do both. If he already did one, then he's patur. Then it becomes an unnecessary brocha. So whether it's Rav, Rish Lakish, and some say it's Rav Yochan and Rish Lakish, anybody says that Rav Yochan and Rish is in violation of Lotisa, the Rambam codifies this, the Aloha, it's an important Rambam, the Rambam says that you have an Isur de Oraita when you come to a Rav Yochan and Rish Not everybody agrees. Others say that there's only an Asmachta Be'alma. It's the Rav itself, it's Rav Right, so it ends up happening, exactly. You have a bracha de Rabbanon she'in a tzricha that ends up being a bracha de Batala and an iser doraita. So you're dealing really with a suffix doraita, not with a suffix de Rabbanon. Most will say that it's only in a smacht of Alma, so you're still dealing with a suffix de Rabbanon. But the Ramam's formulation makes it that you're dealing with a doraita every time you deal with a bracha she'in a tzricha. He clearly says it by bracha de Batala, but now here, the Ramam even says bracha she'in tzricha that there is a you have to amend that statement to say this. If he makes a the Abdullah in this and not that, that he should have brachot in his head. Right. That if he does one, and obviously the one that he picks is the one in Shmanesre he gives in terms of hierarchy, that's the better one to choose. What was something with Brahma says the Ramam's view is more difficult. The Ramam seems to indicate that Abdullah is the Oraita. It's a mitzvah Oraita, just like... Right, Most people believe that Abdullah is the Rabbanon. The Ramam believes that it's the Oraita. Now what does it mean, the Oraita? So whether it's Alakos or not, the most, almost everyone agrees that Alakos is a Dinder Rabbanon. And when we say that the Oraita, that means just the actual words of Kiddush, the words of Abdullah. There are some, say, Mefarish in Nazir, that's the Rashi in Nazir. One of the answers in the Tosafot in Arve Psachim, I think there was a Rashi earlier in Armasechta that sounded a little bit like that, that Kiddush Alayayin is Midoraita. 
But almost everybody agrees that alayayin is something that's in addition to rabbonon. What happens if you forgot both of them? If you made a mistake of both of them, then you got to go back to the beginning. Yeah, he forgot. He didn't have Abdallah Kos, he didn't have Abdallah Vitzfila. So then he has to have to say Abdallah somewhere. Choser the Rosh. Then he goes back and he has to say Abdallah in that instance. Shokhanach brings down this Aloha and there he says, Vim Tam Kodim Kos. If he ate something, tasted something before he made Abdallah Kos, he'd also forgot it in Tfila. Then, Sarikh Lagzor Labdil Bitfila, as the Mishaburah says, it's a Knas, that he goes back and has to daven again and say Abdallah in Tfila since he missed it in the first Tfila, and he also ate before Abdallah Lakos. Where's the Aloha? So now this is going back to the original question that we have, which is that if you make Abdallah in Tfila, do you have to make it Allah Kos? What's the Aloha there? I'm like Kiddush, just like Kiddush. So this is exactly what you were saying. Just like by Kiddush, even though we say it in davening, you still say it ala So too, even though you've done it in davening, you still have to do it ala kos. And that's the institution of Chazal. The, the reason being, now by Abdullah, it's harder to say this, but by Kiddush, the institution makes sense because there's an Indian of Makom Suda. Barat Shabbat and the Onik Shabbat is the Kviyot Suda of the Shabbat. It's making a Suda that is for Shabbat. And that's what you have to ask in general about Kiddush. For instance, Kiddush on Shabbos morning. What's the purpose of Kiddush on Shabbos morning? The Rambam even has a Kiddush by Sudash Lashit. What's the purpose of that Kiddush? Rambam says that the Kiddush in the morning is just like the Kiddush at night. The Rambam says, I don't, that's not true. Kiddush at night is a Ikir Takano, it's about bringing in the Shabbos. How can you say it's the same as the Kiddush in the morning? So then according to the Rambam, what is Kiddush in the morning? So that is to be Koveya Suda Layayin. It's to give significance to the Sudat Shabbat. How do I differentiate a Sudat Shabbat from a Sudat Chol? Alayayin gives it a certain amount of significance. It gives it a framework that it's a Sudab Shabbat. And therefore the Ramam says by Sudash Lishit, you have to do the same. We say, well, Sudash Lishit is in itself inherently significant because it's a meal you don't eat during the week. But the Ramam says you have to do Alayayin to give it that significance. So say, that makes a lot of sense when you say, I made Kiddush and Davin, I still have to make Kiddush Alakos. Because Kiddush Alakos references or is connected to the meal itself. And also the idea of doing it, suda, kiddush, suda, connecting the two to give the significance of the meal in Shabbat. By Abdullah, that's more questionable. So there you have to invoke the principles of alakos, which is that you only say shira layayin. That, that's what the Rashfam says in uh, Masechah Psachim. We saw a little bit of that here in, in Masechah Brachot. This idea that alayayin, you only say shira alayayin. When you want to give praise to Hashem and you want to sing song to Hashem, you only do it alayayin. That's the proper, again, framework or significance given to Shira. And therefore, when you're making Abdullah Alakos, just like Kiddush Alakos, is this idea of giving Shevach Hashem and types of Tefillah and Ahuda'ad Hashem is done Alakos. And that's why Abdullah and Kiddush would be equal in this case. Alright, Rabbi Lezo Amer Boda. So I'm Rabbi Zera, Rabbi Rochim Chamro. Rabbi Zera was riding on a donkey, Rabbi Kashakil, Rabbi Azel, Rabbi Chiyab Avin Batre. Chiyab Avin was following behind him. Rabbi Rabbi Yochanan. Is it really true that you say in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Aloha, Rabbi Lezer, Yom Tov, Shechali Yot, Achar, Shabbat? The Aloha is like Rabbi Lezer, in a Yom Tov that follows Shabbat? Samalei, in. He says, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly what I said. Aloha, Michlal, Pligei. Well, if you say the Aloha is like him, it means that others argue. Velo, Pligei. What do you mean? Of course they argue. Ba, Pligei, Rabbanon. We have the position of the Rabbanon, which is that you say, Abdallah, Bechonen Adat. Imar, the Pligei, Rabbanon, Mishari, Motoshana. The Rabbanon argue the rest of the year when there is a bracha of Chonen Adat. Ba, Biyom Tov, Shechal Yotachar Shabbat, Mi Pligei. Who says that they argue in that case? Va, Polig, Rabbi Akiva. What about Rabbi Akiva who argues there? It says, Atukol, Shanakulam, Yavdin, and Rabbi Akiva. The rest of the year, do we practice like Rabbi Akiva? The Hashem, Nekum, and Eved, Kavatei, that you're worried about thinking that Allah is like Rabbi Akiva on Yom Tov Shechali Yotachar Shabbat? Why don't we follow Rabbi Akiva's position the rest of the year? The Tamle Sari Tikun, Shasrei Lotikun. 18 brachot that were instituted by Sheikh Tazar Abdullah. Not making it into an extra brach of Abdullah makes it into 19. That's not part of the Kanav, then Sheikh Tazar Abdullah. Hachanami, Shev Tikun. On Shabbat and Yom Tov, you have a seven brachosh monasrei. They did seven, tamle lotikon. They didn't put an eighth. So Rabbi Kiva is out of the picture, period. Rabbi Kiva is not even a question that whether the Allah is like Rabbi Kiva or not. The only question here is, is the Allah like Rabbi Eliezer when it comes to Yom Tov, Shachal Yotachar Shabbat? Why? 
Because Rabbanon who think it's in Chonin Adat, Chonin Adat doesn't exist in this situation. So in this situation is Aloha Grabilezer. And the answer that was given was, yes, the Aloha is like Grabilezer. Well, if you're passing like Grabilezer, it implies that the Chachamim disagree in that case, that they argue. So Amalei, Lav Aloha Itmar. says, no, it wasn't said as Aloha, Ela Matin Itmar. It meant Matin. The Itmar Rabbi Yitzchak Rabdimi Amashim Rabbeinu Aloha that the Aloch is like Rabbi Lezer, Amayla, Matin. Riochanar mar modim, mar nirin. So now, what is, what are all these words here? We're giving Aloch, Matin, nirin. So Rashi explains to us, in the case, when you say Aloch, Aloch means that it's a Aloch psuka, and you can darshan it Rabim. You can go and publicly announce that this is Aloch, you can tell everybody this is Aloch. Matin is a case that Aloch is this way, but we're not Doresh Barabim. We don't say it publicly that the Allah is this way, but if someone comes to you and asks the Shaila, then we say this is the Allah. Moldim is obviously Halacha, meaning that they agree to that position. Nearing is that even if you come and ask the Allah, we will not pass in that way. But if you did it, we won't make you go back. So that's the different levels that you can have. In terms of Allah, when you have a person that gives an opinion, they can pass in like that opinion, which means full-fledged halacha psuka like that individual will be dorish that berabim. You can have matin, which is, in general, we do not think the halacha is like them, but if you come and ask us personally, b'yachid will tell you the halacha is that way. And then there is this nirin that, b'diyavit, if you practice this way, we won't make you go back. And that's the question here with regards to Rabbi Eliezer's opinion here on Yom Tov Shechaliyot Tuchar Shabbat. What is the din? Is it halacha like him? Is it that if you come and ask for Pesach, we'll tell you that's the way, we won't tell you that for Or, if you did it, you don't make you go back. That you should follow this, the explanation of Rabbi Chir Bar Abba, who was the Nirin. Because he was very Midayik to get exactly what his Rebbe said, just like Rechava de Pumpadita. These are individuals who are known for their, I don't know if it's their memory, or their exactitude in their memorization of the Shemaita to those memorials that they got from the Rebbeim. And therefore, if he says Nirin, I would rely on him, because he's the most reliable in this type of Misora. So what does it mean, Kirachba de Pumpadita? Damarachba, Amar Abiyuda, Harabayit, Tav Kafulaya, was a double colonnade, but you stab if name is stab. And it was a one colonnade inside of another colonnade. It shows up in a couple of times in Shas, shows up in Sukkot, shows up in Psachim. When they talk about the halot toda that they used to demarcate when it was the time for chametz, when it was the time for tolin, when it was the time for sreifa, seems like it's on the southern side of Harabait, the area that was expanded in Harabait when Herod added on that place. It seems that there was a double colonnade in that area, which was some sort of platform on which they could sit or could be seen from afar. So that's why they used it for different things, both in sukkah and psachim. So now, what's the proof from this? And they said, okay, that's from Rachman Pumpadita, we know this. What did he say here? Made it that he's exacting in his Misora. So that the Rashi brings two opinions down. One is that he used the term Stav. Because in the Mishnah, the term is Itzdeba. So they're synonymous. But the fact that he used the word Stav, even though in the Mishnah it's found as Itzdeba, shows that he was very Meduyak in giving over exactly how his Rebbe said it. That's one. The other way Rashi says, and this one he rejects, because he says, Rav Yehuda or Rabbi Yehuda. In, in our Gemara, we only have a Resh. It's hard to tell. Rashi says that there's this idea that it was either Rabbi Yehuda or Rabbi Yehuda is Midayek to tell you exactly which one it was. It's very important. It's more important than the other distinction. It is more important. Although Rashi says, I have a lot of questions about this. First of all, he says, Rachel never saw Rabbi Yehuda in his lifetime. So the two never crossed, uh, they never crossed paths. So how could he be talking about Rabbi Yehuda? That's number one. Number two is, all the Amoraim are that way. Every Amorah has to know whether he heard it from Rabbi Yehuda or Rabbi Yehuda. It makes a big difference. Like you're saying, it's really important. It's not something that was unique to Rachba. That's something that everybody did. So Rashi rejects that second explanation. So I'm Rabbi Yosef, I don't know anything of what you guys are saying. I've never heard anything of the sword. I know exactly what Rabbi Shmuel said. The Tekinulan, Marganita, Bavel. They established this jewel in Bavel, something that we would be familiar with, which is... That Yom Tov, Shechal Yotach HaShabbat, we say v'todiyenu. That's this, v'todiyenu Hashem lukeinu et mishpatei tzidkecha, that you made known to us your laws, righteous laws, v'tamdeinu l'asur chukei v'tzonecha, and you taught us how to follow your precepts. Tan klinu z'manei sason v'chagei nedava, gave over us these times of happiness and these holidays of generosity, v'todiyenu k'dushat Shabbat, 
And we inherited, we got the Kedushat Shabbat. You can see there the Dalit in the uh, Gra, which takes out. Tanchelenu Zvanesa Samachag in the Dava. Toshenu Kedushat Shabbat, Chavod Moed, you inherited to us, gave over to us the holiness of Shabbat, the honor of the Moed, of the appointed times, of Chagigat Regal, the celebration of the Holidays Ben Kedushat Shabbat, Kedushat Yom Tov, Hidalta. You distinguished between the Kedushat Shabbat and the Kedushat Yom Tov. Ved Yom HaShvi Mishedji Me'amaseh. And the other six days from Yom HaShabbat. Kedushat Hidalta. You sanctified and distinguished. Ved Kedushat Yom Chayisob Kedushatecha. You also distinguished Bnei Yisrael with their Kedushat. Ved Tehnlanu. And then you go on to Vitin Tehnlanu, which is the continuation of the Tefillah of Yom Tov. That is the normal Tefillah of Yom Tov. Tehnlanu Hashem Elkeinu Et. And then... That's what we say every time we dive in on Yom Tov. So that's where we actually place Todienu. Todienu is the beginning of the Bracha Shviit. We add in Todienu there, and then we continue of Titeinlanu. So that's the halacha, and that's the way that we follow this member of Rav Yosef. Okay, Mishnah, Omer, Akan Sipor Rachamecha, someone who gets up to Davin. And this is more this idea of this free-form tefillah. person wants to say, God, you should have mercy on us. The way that you have mercy on the Kansipor, the way you have mercy on the nest of the bird, which is what we just had in Parshat Kitetse, that you have to shoo away the mother bird before you take the children or the chicks or the eggs. So there, just like you had Rachamim there, Hashem, so too, you should have Rachamim on us. Or, he says, Altovi Zacher Shemecha, that on goodness your name should be mentioned. Or Modim Modim. You know, we bat down to you, we bat down to you. All these cases, Meshat Kinoto. He gets pulled down as being the shot. He gets supposed from being the Ishleach Tzipur because he, these, these are inappropriate statements. Now, we're going to discuss why each one of these is inappropriate. Bishlama Modim Modim Meshat Kinoto. I understand when he says Modim twice, we shut him down. Mishum Demech Sekishtevi Shiot. Looks like he's bound to two gods. Modim Modim. Looks like you're bound to two different deities. That's also problematic. Sounds like we only should mention your name when it's good, but not when it's bad. And that Hashem only rules over the good, doesn't rule over the bad, or has nothing to do with the bad. Something we'll see in the ninth parak of Brachot, that you have to give bracha both to Hashem, both when things are good and when things are bad. And that's why we have the bracha of Dayana Emet, which is the bracha over things that are bad. What's the reason that? Sounds like a really nice tefillah. Why don't we say that? So pick up a tray of Morai by Marav. And Eretz Yisrael, there are two Maraim that argue Rabbi Yosef Ravin, Rabbi Yosef Ravzvido. Chala Maim Ibn Shematil Kinabe Maseh Breshit. Because he makes the other animals jealous. Why did Hashem only have mercy on the birds and not have mercy on anything else? Because you make the Midot of Hashem be Rachamim, mercy when they are only Gzerot. That we follow the word of Hashem, and if you see Rashi over here, explains that. God did it for His command and not for mercy. Put on Israel His laws. To demonstrate that we are His servants and following His word. Even in things where they don't have any logic to them. Why do we need such a mitzvah? We don't look for the reason of the mitzvah because the reason isn't important. The only thing that's important is that you follow the word of God, that you demonstrate your submission before God. That's the only thing that matters over here. Not the Tamea mitzvot. Over here, this is a very, very difficult statement in the Gemara and one that the Rishonim have to deal with in terms of Tamea mitzvot. So this week's parsha, we had the mitzvah of If you look in the Ramban al Torah, the Ramban al Torah has a very long piece over there, in which he quotes the Rambam from Moran Nebuchim, and discusses, first of all, the reason for al The Rambam in general has a principle that even though we don't know all the mitzvot, the reason for all the mitzvot, we should at least attempt, or we should try to figure out the Tamea mitzvot. The Ramban does not outright reject that, and says that it is true, that there are reasons behind the mitzvot. First of all, they argue on the reason for al Rambam says that the reason for it in modern Nebuchim, he writes, is because there is a tremendous pain for a mother to see its child taken away. And just like that is something that's not, it doesn't have to do with seichel, intellect. It's an emotional response. It's a base instinct that is in humans as well as in animals. And therefore the Torah wants you to avoid doing such a thing. And therefore the Torah has the mitzvah like and and otoveh beno. Now the shech, the mother, and the child on the same day. That's the Rambam's explanation. Obviously, there are holes in that explanation. It's not a complete explanation. What about the other briot? What about the fact that Otov Ebeno is only in one direction? It's only if it's the child in front of the mother, not the mother in front of the child. Ramam deals with it. He speaks about it over there. 
But it's not so simple. The Ramban fundamentally disagrees with that reason. He says it's not true. The reason that these mitzvahs are here is to teach B'nai Israel to have rachamim, to not be an achzari, not to be a person who is callous, uncaring. That's what it's here. It's to teach us to be caring individuals and to have rachamim. And so the mitzvot are to improve the individual himself. And that's a shita in the Rishonim, that the mitzvot are about be mitzarif, the individual, purifying, distilling the individual to be a better individual. And that's first of all what the Ramban says. The question that Rambam raises, and it's going to be a problem for the Ramban as well, is our Gemara says you don't give reasons. The reason's irrelevant over here. The Rambam over there says, don't ask me from this Mishnah, because this is one daya in Chazal. I'll bring it to the other day out in Chazal. We say you should look at the reason, and the reason is important. The Rambam says it's a machloket, and we don't follow that opinion that's mentioned over here in the Gemara about the reason. That's, that's number one. The second thing they argue about is with regards to the details of the mitzvot. It says there, the Gemara says there, Mali, why does it matter whether you do shechita from the neck or shechita from behind the neck? Does Hashem really care? Does it really make a difference where you do the shechita from? So the Rambam over there says, or shows from that, that the particulars of the mitzvot are not important. There's a g- general perspective on a mitzvah, and the general perspective you can give a reason for, but the details of the mitzvah are irrelevant. Whether it's done this way, that way, this or that, none of that matters. And all of that is about being submit- submitting to Hashem. Hashem had to put it some way. I mean, if he did it this way, you would ask him, why didn't he do it that way? So there had to be a certain amount of laws. So Hashem let out the laws. The Ramban, on the other hand, believes that that is not true, that there is a value both in the broader mitzvah as well as the particulars of the mitzvah. When there's a particular way to do it, that also has impact, that has a reason, and we don't just say, well, it doesn't matter. The Rambam is going to say, well, it doesn't matter because it had to be one way or the other. So God just gave it this way. Why does it matter which way it is? And Ramban says that's not true. That the way that Hashem picks and has the mitzvah delineated and the particulars of the mitzvah are as important. But there they do have a fundamental difference in their understanding of mitzvot. But there's a long Ramban, if you want to say, on Parshat Kitetzei, Kedai to read, that really reflects and speaks about this issue. There's another Gemara, which is also fits into this, which is, the Gemara says that a person should not say, I don't want to eat pig, but what can I do? Because God told me I can't eat pig. So over there it sounds like that one should not have an inherent disgust for pig. It's because if God said it, I don't eat pig. You don't have a reason why it's bad for me, this or that. No, it's because God said so. So the Rambam in Shemona Prakim, in his introduction to Masakura Bot, in the Perak Shishi there, also creates a distinction, which is a fundamental distinction that's very important, which is that it depends on what type of laws. There are certain laws where you inherently have to have disgust for them. To murder, to rob, to steal from, those are what we call natural law. In natural law, a person should have a base uh, disgust and rejection of doing those act- activities. And that is, whether the Torah said them or not, we would have rejected these types of behavior. Right, there is societal norms, natural law. On the other hand, there are mitzvot, which, without the Torah, we would never have thought of. Not in any pig. Right, mostly along the lines of kukim. There might even be some mishpatim that fall in that category, but things that would not have otherwise been true. Over there, we don't say that I should have some sort of inherent disgust for them, but rather, I would have done it. I would have eaten pig, it's just the Torah says I can't eat pig. I would have worn shatnays, it's just the Torah says I can't wear shatnays. So in all those cases, there you do not have to have, feel like, I don't want to do it. You can say, I want to do it. It's just God said, I can't do it. Right? So those together formulate a picture of how the Rishonim view the mitzvot or trying to piece together different mitzvot. So now the Gemara says, That you had rachamim on the kansibor, why don't you have rachamim on us? You should have rachamim on us. How wonderful is this feel of this young Talmud uh, Chacham? Someone like Bai, right? Jumps up and says, "Hamishat kinoto tnan." It's a mishnah mifureshet. So Rabba nami lechdudi la Bai, who the Bai he wanted to test the Bai. It was like a trick question. He was complimenting him to see if a Bai would react. Oh, the nachi kamei Rabbi Chanina. As an individual went before Rabbi Chanina, Amar Hakel, Agadol, Agibor, Banerav, Adir, Vazuz. So he went through all these accolades for Kodesh Baruch Hu, the God who is great, strong, and awesome, reverent, is a reverent, right, and strong, and mighty, and the one who is fearsome, chazak, that is powerful, and courageous, and certainly, and honored, 
So he did. He didn't want to interrupt him. He let him finish all of this. When he finished, there's a wonderful line. Finish praising God? How could you be done? It's a great list, but how could you be done? So, what do you do on this? So, my says, The question should be for us. We say, How do we stop? So, Elab Damrina Moshe Rabbeinu Boraita. Had Moshe not said in the Torah, and place in Tvila, we couldn't say them. There is no way to speak about the praises of Hashem within a contained manner. Therefore, the only thing we could do is copy or mimic. We can mimic what Moshe said. We can, through the institution of the Kesedek Dola, we can use these terms. But if you're going to make up your own thing, you can't do this because then you're faced with this problem of how do you ever finish the praise of a Kodesh Baruch Hu? So, you're going on and on like this. He was a wealthy man. He had thousands and thousands of gold coins. And they say, yeah, but look how much silver he has. Look, what are you talking about silver? He has gold. Same thing over here. You're giving praise to Hashem, but it's unlimited praise. And you're limiting it by being human and by limiting it, right? then you're by definition not doing the right thing. We do that in the Tefillah of Nishmat. In Nishmat, we give praise to Hashem, and then we say, right, we can't, there's not enough paper, there's not enough ink to write all your praises. We say that we can't do it. The idea that we could never finish up the praise of Hashem. What do we do? So there are two methodologies. One is this, where we follow some praise that's found in the Torah. So we copy Psukim out of the Torah. Or the other way that we do this is we use the alphabet. Why are certain things formulated as an alphabet? Is because there's a natural end to that order. When you formulate something in an alphabet, and that's like by Ashra, Yosh, all these types of Tehillim, there's a natural end to the praise. And therefore, it's not like you're ending the praise of Hashem. The reason is that you formulated it in a contained manner, which is Aleph, the Ruh, Toph. So when you reach Toph, you stop. Not because that's the end of the praises, but because that's the end of the alphabet. That's why we use that methodology for expressing Tehillim, our praise to Hashem. Everything is in the hands of heaven except for Yirat Shemaim, Shnemar, because the Pesach says, That it says there that Hashem says, I'm only asking one little thing from you, just to fear Hashem. Is that such a little thing that Yirat Shemaim? It's the only thing Hashem has up there. Is Yirat Shemaim, Shnemar? Yirat Hashem, He Otsaro. That the year of Hashem, that's what he stores in. And Mark says, yes, it is a small thing. The Gabi Moshe Miltazutratahi. For Moshe Rabbeinu, Yirat Hashem was one small thing. Amar Rabbechina, Mashallah, Adam Shemakshimi Menu Kligadol. Personally, he's asking from a large utensil. Biyishlo, and he has it. Don't love Kikli Katan. Then it seems like nothing. Yeah, yeah, you want to borrow it? Sure, go ahead. Katan, Veinlo, if they ask for him, it's like a small thing. He doesn't have it. Don't love Kikli Gadol. Then it feels like something he's asking for something huge. So do, if you have your Hashem, then it seems like a little thing, and that's the way Moshe expresses himself. On the other hand, if you uh, don't have it, your Hashem, then it feels like a really big thing. Now this expression of is very, very difficult, and the Rishonim deal with it. Majority of the Rishonim believe that means that Hashem has Hashkoch over everything, down to the last details. And your Shemaim is your Bichira Chavshit to choose whether you're a Tzaddik or a Rasha. Rasha over here discusses the fact that you are granted certain character traits or characteristics that you don't have a choice about. Even on Nibi Asher, whether you can be rich or poor, all these things are predetermined by Hashem. The Yirat Shemayim is there. What you do with what you're given, the gifts that you're given, what do you do with it? Rashi says it here. Tosafot says the same thing in other places. That is the view of most of the Rishonim to deal with this idea of predeterminance versus free choice. On the other hand, the question is, how far does Hashkachat Hashem go? How deep does it go? Do we say Hashem is broadly Mashkiachan Neolam, or every detail is Mashkiachan? There we have Machokot Rishonim, the main, mainstream view, and most of the Rishonim believe that Hashem has Hashkachat down to the last detail. And he's involved. Now, for instance, the Rambam or the Bukhim says, by animals. By animals, Hashem has Hashkach over the species, not over the individual animals. So there, there's more limited Hashkach. Maybe true by other nations besides B'nai Israel, the same thing. Hashem has a broader Hashkach, not an individual Hashkach. But most of Rishonim believe. There are Rishonim that believe that when it says, that means in a general sense, not down to the last detail. The last detail is run by the, governed by the laws of nature. Now, Hashem put those laws in motion. He has a general control over them. But that is a machlok tabishonim. Maybe I'll send out the makorot on that. Just to, you can take a look at it. Anybody says shma shma, it's equivalent of saying modim modim. 
Someone reads Shema and then repeats it, it's not a proper way to daven. Okay, it's improper, but we don't shut him down. That's if he says word by word and repeats it. But there he says one pasuk and repeats the pasuk again. Which is which? Rashi says that if you say it word by word, then that's a miguna. If you say it pasuk by pasuk, then mishatkinoto. The Rabbeinu Chananel and the Bahag were in the exact opposite way. Word by word, mishatkinoto. But by pasuk by pasuk, then we keep it. Tosavot says that he doesn't think Lashonas Meduyak like the Bahag and the Rach. To be honest with you, I think it sounds much more like them. Come on here, compare Shema Shema to Modim Modim, which where there it sounds like you're talking about word by word. To equate those or to run them in parallel would sound like if you say a word like Shema Shema, it sounds like you listen and you listen. Bad down to you, bad down to you, that's Shtevi Shriot. Then if you say the whole Pasuk, then that's not so problematic. So Maybe when he said Shema the first time, he didn't have Kavana. And that's why he said it again, to have Kavana. So that's why Tosot says it's not a duyuk like Rashi. Because over here, the question that's being asked is, well, if he says it once, and then he repeats it because he didn't have kavana, that sounds like the problem over here in terms of Meshat Kinoto. You could argue that's the say of Meguna, that's not so problematic. So, miika. You have a chavrusa with Hashem, meaning, is Hashem your friend? The chavrusa means you have something, you interact with a friend. You talk to Hashem like you talk to your friend, that's how you approach it. If you didn't have kavana in the first place, we smash him with the mallet, the hammer of the blacksmith. Adam Kavanah, they gets it straight. Meaning that it's unacceptable to say that he didn't have kavana in Shema. How could he even approach Hashem in that manner? That is completely unacceptable. So to say that that's the reason he said Shema twice is even worse. Right? The reason he said Shema twice is he didn't have kavana. That means that he doesn't have proper frame of mind reference with Hashem that he's coming and speaking that way. So I don't want to answer that. The reason he said Shema twice is for that because that's even worse than saying Shema twice. So that's the idea that you have to have kavana in Shema. That's, again, a machloket in the poskim, the Rishonim, as to how much kavana you need to have and whether we take, make you go back for kavana today. The Ramah brings down, and the Mishabur brings down today, that since we don't have kavana at all, then it's hard to make someone go back for kavana because when you go back, you might just do the same thing you did before. So our level of kavana is not to the extent that they had, and therefore we don't repeat in general for kavana. Because we saw that earlier in the Masechta with regards to Chatan. Before, the Chatan didn't say on the first night because they had Kavan every other night. You couldn't have Kavan that night. Today, since we don't have Kavan ever, they say that on the night of the Chasno because he wouldn't have Kavan anyway. If you do think that you don't say it, then it's showing that you have Kavan all the other time. That's Yura. That's showing like, oh, I do have Kavan all the time. So we generally have this principle that Kavanah doesn't apply to us. Again, there are still basic levels of Kavanah that one needs. One has to understand what they're saying, has to be aware of what they're saying. But they need more than that. That is subject to Machloket in the Poskim. Okay, we'll stop over here.